Hello and thank you for checking out the Hopewell Valley Student Podcasting Network, a proud partner of the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network, where students come together to publish student-driven content to share with the world. This network empowers students to become content creators for all different types of digital mediums. For more student-ran podcasts, blogs, artwork, and content, please check out the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network at www.hvspn.com. The opinions represented within the digital content are those of the content creators. Now please enjoy the following podcast episode. Welcome to my AP Biology Thoughts podcast. My name is Streamer Zavi, and I'm your host for episode 31 titled Invasive Species. Today, we'll be discussing invasive species, species that you can probably find anywhere due to how prominent they are in nature and in the outside world as a whole. I'll be presenting information about what invasive species are, how they come to be invasive, their effects on different ecosystems and environments, some of the things being done to prevent the spread of invasive species, and even some of the possible benefits invasive species can have. I'll finally wrap it up with just a mini summary about the topic of invasive species in the context of ecology. I'll be sharing several cool and common examples of such species along the way, such as the brown tree snake, the Asian tiger mosquito, the kutsu vine, and finally, the snakehead fish. Before I start, I'd like to give credit to several different sources, including the National Wildlife Federation, National Geographic, Eric Geist's AP Biology videos, UC Riverside Center for Invasive Species Research, New York Invasive Species Information, Wikipedia, the Global Invasive Species Database, and finally, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. So as you guys can probably tell, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to invasive species. So let's get started. All right, so what are invasive species? Where do they come from? Why are they so harmful? How do they spread so easily? What do they do? So we're gonna be answering all of these questions in this introductory segment now. An invasive species is a species that is not native to a specific location, that has a tendency to spread rapidly and cause great economic and environmental harm to a new area. To be invasive, the requirements of invasive species, to be invasive, I guess, include how they must be able to adapt to their new area easily. They must be able to reproduce quickly and they must cause some type of harm to the region. Invasive species are spread mainly by human activities. Actually, they're really spread almost only by human activities, often unintentionally, but sometimes on purpose as a way of pest control. This is not really the best idea since oftentimes their possible effects and impacts are really unknown, and they're usually very consequential and detrimental to the area. The most common way invasive species are spread is through individuals traveling from one area to another, and these species could hitch a ride in cargo shipments. Ships and boats could carry them in their ballast waters or propellers. They can get into crates shipped around the world. You could have honestly brought along invasive species from another country without even knowing it at all, just because some insects were in your luggage or something like that. One other way is through people literally just releasing their pets into the wild. It happens pretty often and something that can be easily stopped. The most common examples of these are goldfish and the Burmese python. 
And now, the Burmese python is one of the most dangerous and devastating invasive species in the world. They're destroying the Everglades and the biodiversity within the Everglades as a whole. Of course, these animals could just escape, and so humans are blameless then. But just be mindful before you release your goldfish into the nearby river or pond. You may feel good for allowing your fish to, you know, live and survive in its natural environment. But the thing is, it's not really their natural environment. That random lake nearby is just not their natural environment. And if your goldfish mates with others, there's going to be consequences. So let's get into what they do that's so bad. Why would this goldfish cause such consequences? Well, when a new species is introduced into an ecosystem, they probably won't have any natural predators or controls in general. And that makes sense. There's nothing to really keep them in check. And so it has no limiting factors because they're brand new. When an organism has no limiting factors, generally they can grow exponentially without stopping for a long period of time. The invasive species would easily outcompete the native species for the same resources. The, the invasive species could predate or prey on many of the organisms in the new environment. This would then affect several different smaller ecosystems and food chains in a negative way. Biodiversity would be greatly impacted and the area may never really return back to stability or normality as the invasive organisms could change the abundance of certain significant aspects that are important to the survival of other or many other organisms in the habitat. I mean, the native animals, they're basically defenseless against this new invasive invader and that has no limitations at all. These new species could also cause or carry disease and prevent native species from reproducing, killing them before they can do so. They can also replace native food sources, which would change the food web as a whole, while themselves providing no value for wildlife there. Last thing, these are all biotic things, but they can also change abiotic conditions. Invasive plants, which are probably the worst form of invasive species because they spread so fast, they can affect water quality, tree cover, and even create fuel for wildfires. And I'll try to get into invasive uh, species in our next segment, which will begin now. Okay, so now we're gonna be moving into our next segment where I'll be presenting some examples of invasive species. I'll start with the brown tree snake, which is an example of a species that was spread through travel. Shortly after World War II, brown tree snake was accidentally transported from its native range in the South Pacific all the way to Guam most likely as a stowaway in ship cargo or by crashing into the landing gear of a Guam-bound air aircraft. There are also theories that the snakes were used to suppress the rat populations in Guam, which were very high before the 1950s. There were many prey sources for the snakes, and they had virtually no natural predators, besides feral pigs, I believe. And so the snakes reached massive numbers, as obviously they were very fit in their environment, and so they could thrive, grow, and live up to reproduce. They have really caused extensive damage to the forests of Guam. They have decimated Guam's birds and herpetofauna, causing the local extinction of over half of Guam's native bird and litter species, as well as two-thirds of Guam's native bat species. By eliminating native pollinators, the brown tree snake has reduced pollination by lizards and birds. And by doing this, they have reduced native plant regeneration and coverage across the forest. So as shown, the snake didn't just affect one population. By affecting one population, they affected several others, which is why invasive species are so harmful, especially if they kill off a large community's keystone species. Besides all these environmental and ecological effects, they also impact human health and the economy, 
which invasive species also tend to do. The snake is venomous and is also a health hazard to infants and young children. There's also the danger of increased diseases carried by insects that were previously kept in check by Guam's native lizards and birds before obviously the brown tree snake came in and killed them. And so diseases such as an outbreak of dengue fever carried by mosquitoes and a current high rate of infant salmonellosis. The snakes have caused power outages across Guam and are still causing them constantly, affecting private, commercial, and military activities. They also negatively affect agriculture and crop yield, and are known to be agriculture pests. Mainly since by killing off the birds and lizards, insect populations have grown rapidly and they reduce crop yields, which results in socioeconomic issues for the people of Guam. That's all I'll say about the brown tree snakes, because now I want to get through a couple of more. Uh, so now I'll talk about the Asian tiger mosquito. The Asian tiger mosquito is a type of mosquito that's native to Southeast Asia and has been spread along major transportation routes by human activities, mainly the commercial movement of scrap tires. So basically in shipments of used tires. And they have been spread to over 900 counties in 26 states in the United States and Hawaii mainly now found throughout south-central United States. They have also spread to Europe, the Caribbean, Africa, and the Middle East. It's known that they were actually introduced to California in shipments of ornamental bamboo from South China and were found at the port of Houston in 1985, I believe in a shipment of used tires. Their level of expansion in all of these different countries is very elaborate and they have been known become domestic in certain regions, such as the Torres Strait around Australia and Queensland, as well as within Nigeria. These mosquitoes outcompeted and even eradicated species with similar breeding habitats from the very start of their dispersal to newer, more recent regions. For example, the yellow fever mosquito was repressed by the Asian tiger mosquito in Florida, and the A.E. guamanesis species in Guam was also repressed by the Asian tiger mosquito. Now, what they're known for is ruining communities to the transmission of deadly and infectious diseases to humans, domestic, wild animals, and anthropods. They're able to mature, reproduce, and spread at rapid rates and have taken over ecosystems and populations for their need of food through blood. They transmit pathogens and viruses such as yellow fever, dengue fever, pseudovirus, and more in humans, roundworms and heartworms and animals, and Wolbachia infections in arthropods. And Wolbachia infection is basically a bacterial infection that can be transmitted from parents to offspring. And this disease affects over 40% of arthropods that contract it, which is a large amount, of course. And it can affect the consumers of these arthropods in detrimental ways, which could then lead to the collapse of the ecosystem over time as those animals get eaten by others and so on. All right, now let's move on to the northern snakehead, which I actually just found out recently on National Geographic, which I just saw that recently on episode of National Geographic. So these are probably the scariest looking fish you're gonna see because they're invasive aquatic fish that live across the United States and they look like a mix between a piranha and a snake, which are, which are basically the two worst animals you could encounter. The northern snakehead specifically is native to China and possibly Korea and Russia as well. It's thought that they entered the U.S. when aquarium owners discarded them into local waterways after having attained them from foreign markets 
or from areas within the United States where they can be transported to and from. In Asia, the fish is actually an important food source for people, and so it's assumed that they were intentionally released into U.S. waterways to create a local source for fishermen there for economic purposes. And of course, like with all invasive species cases, the native animals were not ready for them, and they had no way to be ready for these new creatures. Uh, and these new creatures, they had no predators or limiting factors, and so the prey were outcompeted for food sources and also preyed upon. So small prey like zooplankton, larvae, and small fish are threatened by feeding juvenile snake, snakehead fish. And adults, they're, they're huge. And they can eat other fish, amphibians, reptiles, birds, and even smaller mammals. They're known to be very aggressive, and as adults, they're not prone to predation. And so the fact that they feed on all of those different species of animals shows how their predatory behavior drastically disrupts food webs and ecological conditions and the biodiversity of the areas that they inhabit as a whole. Okay. Last example, and probably the one that indirectly affects the environment the most out of all the examples I've shared, is the kudzu plant. I'll just go through this one quick. It's a type of vine native to China, Japan, and India. It was first introduced to North America in 1876 in the Japanese pavilion at the Philadelphia Centennial Exposition, and then again in 1884 in the Japanese pavilion at the New Orleans Expo Exposition. The invasive vine was actually promoted in the early 1900s when the government paid farmers to use the vine for erosion control and it had brought tolerant nitrogen-fixing legume for livestock feed. Thousands of acres were planted by the CCC during the Great Depression for hillside stabilization projects. There are a couple of other examples of them being promoted, but you get the idea. America basically screwed itself. It's an aggressive vine that can survive a wide range of climate and can expand rapidly and so it spread rapidly and now is found in over 30 states and it's coming closer and closer to New Jersey where I'm from. So, you know, that's fun. They thrive in the warm south and so they've been spreading north from there. So what do they do exactly that's so bad? Well, they kill other plants and environments by smothering these plants under a blanket of leaves, breaking branches and even uprooting trees. They wrap themselves around and completely cover trees, and so they basically can eliminate light availability for the trees that they cover, easily ridding of shade and tolerant plant species such as pines. It just, it, what it does, it doesn't allow them to photosynthesize, since they're blocking the sun's rays from the plants under them, because, well, they grow on top of other plants and buildings in order to maximize how much light that they can receive. And so, their ability to grow quickly, survive in areas with little nitrogen, and their ability to acquire resources quickly allows them to outcompete with native species for nutrition and growing space, and this allows for the formation of monospecific plant communities. This significantly alters natural plant communities and the, and the animals that rely on those natural communities for food and habitat, especially in the southeast, which is really very troubling due to the region's high level of diversity. They also result in economic liabilities since by outcompeting and smothering and ridding of native vegetations, they cost millions of dollars per year in lost forest production for southern commercial timber producers. So yeah, that's Kutsu. And that is the end of segment two. Now we're gonna move on to segment three, where I'll be diving a little deeper into the topic of invasive species by sharing with you guys some methods of controlling these species, some possible benefits that they can have as well as a quick summary to relate with the species to the broader topic of ecology. All right, let's begin. So what are we doing to stop these things? 
Well, by the examples from which the speech that I presented above, it probably seems like they're taking over the entire world, which I can't really deny. But let's just say that we have we have found some ways to at least slow down the process, if that makes you feel better. There are luckily many ways in which these are being stopped. And so I won't talk about all of them, but hopefully I can get around uh, three or four, just talk about three or four of them for the sake of time. There is manual control, fire control, chemical control, biological control, cultural control, and many more. But And many of them overlap, so that's good. So I'll just start talking about biological control first. Biological control involves using living organisms to reduce seed production and the vigor of invasive populations. Control organisms for this method usually come from the native range of the target species and require a period of study to ensure that they will remain specific to that target population rather than harm the native species. Biological control can be, eh, you know, because it doesn't really always work and it takes several years to show results, but it has worked in the past for certain species. So like with the example of the Gelarusa beetle, which were used to control the European perennial purple loosestrife. Chemical control is another method and it refers to using pesticides and herbicides to curb these invasive species populations. The type of herbicide and application methods will vary depending on the target species and the size, its state of growth, other species affected, and more. Obviously, there are certain areas where chemical controls is just, no, you can't use them. Uh, so like when a rare species is present. Manual control, I'll this one briefly. Manual control basically includes activities such as hand pulling, digging, flooding, mulching, burning, uh, remove the removal of alternate hosts and the manual destruction or removal of nests, egg masses, or other life stages. These manual efforts must be persistent, and several treatments may be needed to reduce or rid of the target population. And manual control should not be used on very pervasive species or invasive species that have spread very far already, such as the kutsu vine, because I mean that would just require way too much work and time. That would definitely not be economically feasible. You can also use fire as a control technique uh, and mechanical control. So that involves cutting, girdling, mowing, chopping, and making barriers using tools or machines to prevent the spread of large infestations of invasive species. Mechanical control can definitely weaken the population, especially if used alongside chemicals. All right, the last one I'll uh, just mention briefly, that's cultural control. And that's basically the manipulation of the environment to control invasive species. And an example could be the replacement and restoration of the plant, of plant communities through cultivation, cutting, fertilizing, irrigating, and more. And that's all I'll say about cultural control. Okay, so, so far invasive species have, you know, been kind of presented as a negative. Uh, and yeah, I guess they are for the most part. Uh, but sometimes they can actually be a positive for some ecosystems. Not often, but sometimes they can. Uh, sometimes invasive species can cause harm to one species and change the environment, but then benefit more species or even the environment as a whole after time as it changes. For instance, in a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, researchers took a look at the seaweed Gracilo verminophila, which spread out from Japan decades ago with the export of oysters. It is known for fouling up fishing nets and boat propellers. It's also known for removing oxygen from the aquatic environment in which it's found, which is obviously bad for uh, fish and other sea animals. And it does this as it decomposes and during the decomposition process, it needs oxygen. Uh, 
for that to occur. But it also has a positive side, as it was found that the invasive algae species was actually providing a habitat for native critters, including vertebrates living in the mud. It also provided shelter for young crabs, shrimp, and fish. And all of these species were important for the fishermen and for economic reasons as a whole for the area, as well as the biodiversity of the area, of course. In a similar study in Denmark, it was found that the same algae species was able to coexist with other habitat forming species, moving in with barely any harmful impacts on native mussels and seagrass and providing more habitats for local invertebrates. So yeah, this is just an example of invasive species doing more good than harm, I would say. And of course, that is not always the case. Okay, so overall, invasive species have a huge impact on ecology and the interactions between certain organisms. So how organisms interact with one another and how organisms interact with the, their physical environment. Invasive species can have a huge impact on this because they can really harm the natural resources in an ecosystem and make it very difficult for the native organisms of the environment to attain those necessary resources. And so competition arises between the native organisms. Invasive species can cause the extinction of certain organisms, which would obviously greatly reduce biodiversity and cause animals who had relied uh, on those now extinct organisms to change the way that they interact with their environment afterwards. So basically, invasive species, they greatly alter the food web in an ecosystem by affecting different species and limiting their abilities to attain natural resources. As these species, they can they can attain the resource that they need, then they would decrease. And that would obviously affect the species that eats the decreasing species, and that predator would decrease as well, and so on. So yeah, it's, it's clear that species can affect the ecology greatly. They affect us so much so that they're one of the main factors of the ongoing sixth extinction, which is fueled by humans. And so it's important to just be aware of that. All right, so that was longer than expected, but yeah, that's all I got. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. I'm sorry for the length. Uh, there was just a lot to say about the topic, and I hope you all understand it and species just a little bit better now. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of My AP Body Thoughts. Uh, for more student-run podcasts, make sure to visit www.hvspn.com. That's www.hvspn.com. All right, everyone. Take care and always remember, learning new things doesn't have to be challenging. It's really easy once you have a goal in mind and a purpose for everything you do. See you later.